All right. Uh, I want to start off. I've got a little short video. I, I know I've played this before, but I love this video. And it's, it's about encountering uh, someone who's different, someone who maybe seems strange to you or what they're about seems uh, foreign to us. So, Travis, can we play that real quick? The old saying goes, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's true. Don't look at that person who ends up next to you and say, that person is way too different from me. I could not invite him to my church. I can't have my friends see me bringing this guy in. We need to see others as Christ sees them, with a holy compassion for the lost. You know what? We all need God, no matter what the person looks like or how different they are from you. As Christians, we are responsible to reach out to those around us. Their eternity depends on it. We need to stop worrying about the opinions of others. We need to open our eyes. New opportunities are put in front of us every single day to come out of our comfort zone, open our mouths, and speak these simple words. Hey man, if you're not doing anything this weekend, uh, check this out, we're doing something cool at our church. So. I love that video. And again, it's about, you know, what do you, what do, you do when you encounter someone that just seems so very different, uh, so very strange or foreign to uh, what seems normal to you, if that's the right word. Um, I'm doing a sermon series on the book of Acts, and last week during my sermon, I uh, talked a little bit about gay people, I talked about Muslims, and I talked about Aggies, and guess what? which one got the most pushback? <laughs> yeah, the Aggie thing, right? You know, yeah, okay, we can talk about Muslims, but we're not talking about Aggies in church, okay? I knew that was coming. I was waiting for it. I knew if I waited, okay? Well, I thought as long as I'm in trouble, I might as well just uh, keep my streak going. And so uh, today I'm going to talk about foreigners, okay? Uh, foreigners, people that are foreign to us. Uh, a foreigner, someone who's not from here, right? Not one of us. Auslander uh, in Fredericksburg, right? Um, and of course, that's in the news a lot right? Foreigners who want to come to our country and lots of debate. Do we let them come? Do we not let them come? Do we build a wall? Do we not build a wall? What are, what are we going to do about foreigners who want to come here? So the way I want to talk about that, though, is I want to flip it, okay? I, I want you to think about sometime when maybe you were a foreigner, okay? Sometime when maybe you went somewhere and it felt foreign to you and maybe the language and the rules and the customs and it was hard to manage when when you were a foreigner and I'm not talking about the time you got off the cruise ship for three hours to go sit on the beach in Cancun okay that's not what we're talking about here for some extended period of time you had to figure out how to manage in a foreign place and what what was that like what did that feel like I had, oh, I guess a little taste of it, not a big one, but a little taste 
it, when I was in seminary back in the 80s, I did a semester over in Israel. And we had already been studying Hebrew, uh, which is a very difficult language. Just for starters, we read from left to right. They read from right to left. And, uh, and the alphabet is so different from any Western language and they don't really have vowels and then you got to spit a lot when you speak Hebrew and mostly which wasn't a problem actually but mostly and mostly we were learning how to translate biblical Greek and so then to actually have a conversation which just seemed near impossible and so we're in Israel and we're staying in a kind of a kibbutz almost kind of place for students and so just trying to, to read the signs or figure out what's what or have some sort of conversation. And of course, we're on the West Bank a lot of the time where they're speaking mostly Arabic. And I never will forget, we went to this French monastery, uh, these French nuns over in Bethlehem, and they were, they were making these stoles. And we wanted to buy some stoles. And they're speaking French to this person who's translating it into Arabic for our interpreter who then is is saying it in Hebrew and for some weird reason I started answering in Spanish <laughs> I don't I don't know what that was doing to my brain but they say something to me and I said no no comprende señor and and they're what and and so just in the food we would eat some sort of mystery meat every day. It, it, it wasn't beef and it sure wasn't pork. And I wasn't always sure what it was. And, and, and so uh, trying to shop, trying to buy things. Um, and I remember we, we finally found this little cafe in the new part of Jerusalem that, that served American food, pizza. That's, that's American food, right? <laughs> was for us. It was kosher pizza, but it was pizza. And, and so there was about four of us, and we intentionally sat in the very back corner of this restaurant and ate pizza and spoke English. And it was just such a sweet, relaxing little time. And, and that's it, right? When, when you're in a foreign place, it's exhausting. It takes so much energy just to do the normal things that we don't even think about when we're at home. It takes energy. Uh, you feel vulnerable. Sometimes you feel powerless. Uh, you don't know whether you're being cheated or not, and what does it matter? Who's going to help you, right? And so the stress, the stress of being in a foreign Place. It got me to thinking that sometimes I think if you go into an ethnic restaurant and there's some uh, people who are immigrant, maybe even second or third generation, and they're sitting over in the corner, it might not be that they're cliquish. It might just be that they're tired. <laughs> and they need to recharge their batteries a little bit. So I got to thinking about that. What? Why? Why would you leave home? Why, why would you leave what's comfortable and familiar and understandable and go to some place where it's almost the opposite and it feels risky and vulnerable and difficult? 
I, th I think it's either of one or two reasons. The first reason might be that home, even though it is home, has maybe become so dangerous and unmanageable and difficult that, that the risk of going somewhere foreign might, might outweigh the risk of staying home. I think of the Germans that came here in the 1840s and just going across the Atlantic in a wooden ship and then coming in, in all the incredible uh, difficulties that they faced. How bad was it back in Germany that you would be willing to do that? It must have been some great motivation to take those kinds of risks. And you read some of those types of stories in the media even today. The other reason is there, there must be something so compelling about what's out there. Uh, some place or something or some reason that I would be willing to leave what's so much easier to go do what is going to be so much harder. Which leads me to the scripture for today. Uh, this is, again, one of those little scriptures that you could read through very quickly and just skip through it. And yet, like a, a lot of parts of the Bible, in a, in a few short sentences, there's some fairly important things going on when you slow down and consider it. The, Paul and several of the missionaries, they, they find themselves in Macedonia. The church, the church is in Macedonia. It says that they go to Philippi, which is a Roman colony. In other words, it's established by people not native to Macedonia. And Macedonia is northern Greece. It's mainland Europe. And so in the Bible, this is the first recorded instance of the church finally reaching mainland Europe. The church has a toehold in Europe. Now, that might not sound like a big deal, but, but up until this point of time, the, the church is a thoroughly Middle Eastern church, okay? They have a Middle Eastern understanding of God, a monotheistic understanding of God, and so their ethics, their morality, their, their social structure is very Middle Eastern. The food they eat is Middle Eastern. The language they speak is Middle Eastern. And now they are in pagan Gentile Europe, and it couldn't be more different. The, the, their understanding of, of deity and religion and of society and ethics and morality is, and language and the food they eat, everything is different. And so why? Why would the church go there? Why not just stay where it's so much easier to do church? Well, if you read this, and particularly the, the few verses that come before it, this chapter, it's very clear. The Holy Spirit tells them to. Okay? They didn't particularly want to go. This wasn't a plan. They loved First Church Jerusalem. That's kind of where they wanted to stay. And the whole book of Acts is just the Holy Spirit just shoving them down the street. They're, they're not enthusiastic, but they do go. They do go. They go to where maybe they didn't want to go, but they go. The Holy Spirit put them there. And this is no small thing to pay attention to. Many of you have heard of Rick Warren. 
Uh, Rick Warren wrote The Purpose Driven Life years ago. Very popular book, Purpose Driven Church. Uh, Rick Warren is a good Baptist boy and went to a Baptist seminary in Dallas back in the late 70s. And he really felt like maybe God was telling him to start a brand new church from scratch. And so he starts doing all this demographic data and uh, realizes that one of the most unchurched places in all of America, uh, unchurched in the, the percentage of the population that is active in, a, in attending a church, uh, one of the most unchurched places in America was Orange County, California. Now, you California immigrants to Texas, um, don't take this personally or wrong, okay? I'm just telling the story, okay? Rick Warren felt like maybe the Holy Spirit was telling him to go start a church in Orange County, California. And his friends tried to talk him out of it. They said, you don't want to go there. It's not going to work. They don't want to, they, they're not interested in Jesus out there. You want to start a new church? Start a new church in Dallas. Start a new church in Fort Worth. It's a growing area. We need new churches. This is the Bible Belt. People get it. They understand church. They understand Jesus. Why would you do that? Why would he do that? He felt like God was telling him to do it. He goes to California, gets about 12 people together in his living room, and they start a church. And, and I, I looked it up. They have 22,000 people attend every week. 22,000 people, one of the largest churches in the country. Now what's real interesting to me about Rick Warren is over the last several years, he's gotten really convicted that church just can't be about church and that we gotta be out in the world. And, and so he's gotten real involved in mission trips to Africa, doing everything from clean water and infrastructure. And so the guy that went to what uh, a good Southern Baptist might think was a foreign place, California, he's teaching his California church how to go to a truly foreign place. The church prays, the Holy Spirit speaks, the church is on the move and ends up in places it might not want to go. Later we're gonna sing, Here I Am, Lord. Uh, and it, particularly Emmaus people, we love that song, right? Here I am, Lord. You wave your hands. Here I am, Lord, right? That's a dangerous song to sing, okay? Make me an instrument. Make me an instrument. If you want your life to say the same, do not sing that song. You don't want to be God's instrument, okay? You don't want to say, here I am. Lord, or lead on, O King Eternal. No, don't lead me to where I don't want to go. Huh? Lead me to my nice, safe, comfortable place. Lead me, O Lord, but just down the street a little bit. Huh? What happens when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you? I would think of the woman years ago. She retired from teaching. She put in her dues. She worked hard. She gets to retire. But she knew down, downtown in the city where she lived, down in the ghetto, she knew from being a teacher that, that a lot of those kids down there never really truly learned how to read. And they were always gonna be behind the curve and impoverished. 
And so she felt like God was telling her to, to do something. And she went downtown in this ghetto and she opened up a little storefront and started teaching ghetto teenagers how to read. She's supposed to retire, right? Retirees, don't sing that song. Don't say, make me an instrument. Don't say, here I am. Don't pray to the Holy Spirit. You might end up in a foreign place. It took courage. I, I, I preached a couple weeks ago about the, how the Holy Spirit gives the church power. Power to do what maybe we think is impossible, but with the Holy Spirit, we do it. And last week I talked about unity, that with the Holy Spirit, we, we unite together in ways that the world almost seems impossible to do. And yet every Sunday we, we can pull it off in an amazing supernatural unity almost. Now, I think the Holy Spirit gives us courage, courage to go where maybe we don't really want to go, but we know we need to go. They go to Europe because the Holy Spirit tells them to, but why? Why go? Why does the Holy Spirit want them to go? It must be because God thinks these foreigners are important that these foreigners are just as much in need of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and resurrection and heaven and eternity as anybody. It says that they, uh, they go to Philippi and they go down to the river to pray. Now, there are Jews scattered all over the Roman Empire and there's synagogues in most places and these Missionaries, they would go to the synagogue first because at least we've got a toehold in the city that here's somebody that at least speaks our language and understands what we're about. But it may be that there wasn't even a synagogue there. They go down to the river to pray. They're beyond the pale. They're about as far out from their understanding of what life is about as you could get. They run into Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. Now, um, I'm a, I, I, I'm a, a Bible nerd, okay? And I raised nerd kids somehow. Um, and my youngest, uh, a few months ago, he, he told me he read a book on the history of color. And so if you want to buy a purple piece of clothing, it's no big deal. We have chemistry to do that. But... A couple of thousand years ago, even a few hundred years ago, how do you make a purple cloth? And purple in particular, um, in the first century, you would have to collect thousands of snails. Um, and you boil them in a pot for days and you finally get a purple dye. And the reason why kings wore purple is because it was very expensive and no one else could afford it. And, uh, and for centuries, you see paintings of Jesus wearing a white robe. And I think it's because for centuries, people understood that if you were poor, you can't afford color. You'd be wearing a white robe. So he read this book a few months ago. So I called him up the other day, I said, John, I'm reading this scripture, and it says there's this woman who's a dealer in purple cloth. I'm thinking that means she's rich. He said, oh, yeah, she'd have to be. She'd have to be. 
They encounter this, this rich woman down by the river outside of the city gates. She's rich. She's a woman. She wants to be baptized. They baptize her. She invites them to her home. She has to persuade them. Why does she have to persuade them? Why don't they just say, sure? Uh, because there wasn't a Ramada in Philippi at that time, right? Because they're good Middle Eastern religious men, and you don't go to the home of a woman. It says they went to Lydia's home, not her husband's home. They're constantly having to go back to First Church Jerusalem and explain why they did what they did. They're out on the edge. This Gentile pagan woman. I think that's what's beautiful about the Gospels is the Gospels really seem to be for everybody. Jesus, Jesus is in ministry to blind Bartimaeus who has to beg for food. And he's in ministry to Zacchaeus, who got rich cheating other people. It just seems to be for everybody. That no matter how rich and powerful you are, you still need the gospel. No matter how poor and powerless you are, you're not really powerless. You're not without resources with the gospel. So then that gets us down to the real question. Who and what and where is the Holy Spirit calling us to? We talk a lot in the church about goals and vision statements, mission statements, strategic planning, which is all good. I'm grateful for it. But Holy Spirit, what is the Holy Spirit calling us to? What, what foreign place where we would need power and unity and courage to pull it off. Years ago, I was serving a, a small church, and, you know, people are complicated. Uh, you know, it was a little church, and, and these were wonderful people, and they were wonderful to us, and yet, at the same time, I heard just some of the most horrible racist things. It's just all of the above sometimes. And there was in our little community a little uh, barrio of a sorts. And in our church were these elementary teachers. And one of them in particular, she was a prayer warrior. And she had such a heart for these poverty-stricken kids. And they were very poverty-stricken. And she said, you know, she said, if you don't reach them by the time they're in third grade, their hearts are already hard. They're already unreachable. And so she and these other ladies came up with this really innovative after-school ministry. They told me to stay away from it so I wouldn't mess it up. And I'm smart enough to stay away. But they wanted to do something really out of the box, and they didn't want me to mess with them. They really felt like God's call was upon them. This little church I went to, they were sweet people. They were very sweet to Brendan and I. They taught me many things and blessed me in many ways. And yet, I know when I got there, 
There was a lot of dust on the rafters, if you will. They went to church, they went home, they hadn't done much in a long time. And I just remember standing in that fellowship hall and these kids running around like crazy and they're full of joy and they're singing. These poor kids are feeling something brand new. And this guy standing beside me said, this church, this is the first time this church has been a church in a long time a foreign place for them. And yet the Holy Spirit was with them.